Hello and welcome to this bite-sized episode of the Art of Teaching podcast. I've been receiving so many positive reviews and feedback from you, and I'm so grateful that you'll take the time to listen. These bite-sized episodes are small snippets of a larger conversation from interviews available at theartofteachingpodcast.com. In this bite-sized episode, we're talking to the incredible Ben Hammersley. Ben shares a really interesting story where he accidentally invented the word podcast, which seems too incredible to believe, but it's true. And I encourage you to check out the full episode at theartofteachingpodcast.com. Which, I mean, yeah. you're going to be known for doing something. I mean, that, that's... Yeah. How on earth have you become accredited, accredited to inventing the word podcast? Well, it, it's, it's a thing that did happen. Um, <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds too amazing to be true. It's so stupid. This is the problem with this. I'll tell you how it happened, um, and, then I, and then I'll complain about it for a little while. The, sure. How it happened was I... Uh, I was uh, back in 2004. I had, I had lots of different jobs, but I was a reporter and technology writer for the Guardian newspaper, and and also at the same time, I was doing a lot of technology work and I was building things and I was writing uh, software and I was on a couple of standards committees and things. And one of the things that I was doing was I was working in on RSS, which is the the data format that drives podcasting, and I'd written a, a textbook on it. And I was involved in a development community, and there was this new thing that, hap- that was happening where people were using a new uh, tag that would have been invented into the, into the data standard to allow the data standard to point to external files, and they were using that to create what we now call podcasting, which is uh, a subscription feed or pre-recorded audio that is automatically downloaded to your device on a periodic basis based on polling this RSS feed, right? Yes. As we were explaining it at the time. And one of the great things about being a practitioner as well as a journalist is you get to just write about the stuff you're doing. And so I wrote an article about this new phenomenon of downloadable audio, uh, which included, you know, the, the revival of audio books because previously had been books on tape and mostly for the blind and so on. And now because people have had devices in their pockets, MP3 players in their pockets, they were, they were downloading, um, they were downloading, uh, audio books and they were also doing this. And, and then the more advanced people were doing this weird thing where they were downloading these amateur made podcasts, these amateur made audio programs and um and listening to them and i wrote this article and at the time the paper was paper centric as in all of the articles were written for the for the press time in the end of the afternoon and then later on six or so hours later all of those articles would be cut copy and pasted literally into the into the website but because of that you have this very very hard deadline of you have to have the articles on the page for the when the physical presses print the physical paper. Yeah. And so I wrote this article and about 15 minutes to go before deadline, hard deadline, I get a, an email from my 
editor saying, hey, um, that article is like a sentence short for the shape of the page that we designed. Um, we don't really have time to redesign the page. Can you just write it an extra sentence and we'll just slot it in and then we can send that page to be printed. And so I had to sort of pull a sentence uh, out of somewhere to, to fill the gap. And so I'm, I wrote this slightly stupid sentence of like, but what do we call this phenomenon? And then I made up some words just to fill space. Amazing. And it's my editor and that was all I thought about it. And then six months later, I had an email from the Oxford, the American Oxford Dictionary saying, hey, um, where did you get that word from in that article that you wrote in The Guardian? And I said, well, I kind of made it up. And they said, yeah, we agree, because we can't find any prior, you know, prior citations. And it's word of the year this year. So, you know, you're going in the dictionary. And that, and that was that, right? That was all of it. Um, it was just something I did by mistake. And the only other thing that happened after that was about two or three years later, maybe a bit longer, I was in London and I was in the Apple offices having a meeting with somebody. And there was a knock on the door and this very, very beautifully dressed woman came in in this incredible suit holding a sort of folder. And she said, Mr. Hammersley. And I said, yeah, yes, that's me. She said that. Hello, I'm from the legal department. I have a message for you about the word podcast. I'm like, ah. Oh. She said, yes, the message is, you're not getting any money. And then, and then she just walked out the room and shut the door behind her. And that was it. And, and so, but, but since then, it, it, there were lots of uh, unrepeatable jokes that make the same point. But like, you, you know, you invent one word by mistake once and, that's, yeah. and it sort of follows you around, right? And so wherever I go, um, wherever I'm giving a talk or, or, or teaching a class or whatever it is, um, I'm always introduced as, you know, here's Ben, blah, 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 blah. Uh, he invented the word podcast. And it was literally something I did. Wow. What, 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 what happened? I did one afternoon. Wow, that's incredible. What, what an amazing story. And what a shame that uh, you aren't getting uh, paid a dollar for every time the word podcast is used. Well, seriously. And, and also, I kind of forget that I did it. And then, and then my wife is sort of continually freaked out by this because we'll be watching TV and it'll be, the word will be mentioned or the word will be said by somebody incredibly famous. And she's like, you know, Barack Obama just said the word that you invented. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I suppose. Like, That's Oprah, Oprah has one of those now. Yeah. Like, that, that is incredible. I think I would, uh, if I was you, I'd be getting a T-shirt with uh, the slogan, I invented the word podcast, but uh, maybe... Yeah, it's such a terrible word. You know, I feel really... It's, I know, it, it, it's just a curious thing. I hope that it's not the first line of my obituary. <laughs> Fantastic. And that is a... I mean, that's a that's an incredible story, and thank you for, for sharing it. And how, how do you explain what you actually do? Uh, because um, I have been, um, admittedly, for, for not a long period of time, probably for the last couple of months, been really obsessed with um, your work and really have done some uh, deep dives into some of the things that you've written, um, some of your uh, your interviews, some of your um, uh, talks on RSA, for example. And it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really hard to try and define what you do and one of the reasons why I thought you'd be such a wonderful guest um, for this episode of the podcast is because 
Um, some of the questions that you ask about how we're preparing for the future, how we're preparing to teach kids in the future, and um, things like adaptive futurism and cognitive risk, all of these words which make me sound smart, but I don't actually know what they mean. So just wondering if you'd be able to imagine we're at a dinner party. How, what do you, what do, you right. do? How do you explain that? So, so the, the dinner party explanation is that I, I am a futurist and, the, yes. and the, the definition of that is I try to help individuals and organizations and governments think about how they are going to operate in the context of the world in you know, five years time, 10 years time. And that requires a couple of things. It requires having a, an opinion and an idea about what that world will actually be and how we will get from here to there because that because the development of that world is, is also incredibly important. Um, and it also requires an understanding of technological and cultural and societal and political change and transformation and an, under and an understanding of innovation and how innovation works. And that sounds, as I've described it, is mostly talking as if it's 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. So an awful lot of the work isn't really talking about the future at all. It's actually really just talking about the cutting edge of the present. Yeah. Um, the another way of putting it is that I'm a therapist to middle-aged white men who can't deal. <laughs> Basically, that that you have uh, a whole in at least in the West a whole ruling class of middle-aged white dudes who are thoroughly freaked out by the by the present day and by the implications of the changes of the present day the sort of second order implications of things and and are struggling existentially with the with the need to change not just to match today but with the need to change that is becoming apparent for to be able to continue to prosper for the next five or ten years and so a lot of it is sort of private one-on-one -on -one CEO therapy. Um, yeah. And that, so it's, it's, it's trying to be as, it's trying to be as modern as possible and next and then translate it. So one of the other ways that, that I've spoken about it before is, is, is I act as a sort of a translation layer between, um, senior people in senior roles and the rest of the world. Yeah. And that's not to say that people in senior roles are stupid or you know dumb in, in any way of course they're not that you can't become the ceo of a bank um and be an idiot at the same time but the process of becoming a ceo of a bank requires an, an intense inward focus towards the inside of that company or the inside of that industry and just through the fact that there aren't enough hours in the day those people who have that sort of inward focus to the inside of their bank are not paying attention to anything else that's happening in the world. And after a certain amount of time, the reality that they think is, is the reality, um, is no longer the reality because it's changed around them. 
And so the context that they're running their companies or running their their lives, their families, their communities, uh, that context is shifted completely. And so my job is really to is is to basically take those people and sort of take them out of the office and show them stuff, right? Show them the world and say, look, you're making decisions based on your perception of the world, which froze in 1998 when you finished your MBA. Yeah. And now you're the CEO. You have to op- your company has to operate in the real world. In the real world, is not what you think it is. Mm. Here's what it is, yeah. and that has lots of lots of knock-on ramifications and, yeah. and obligations and so on. So, so I'm kind of whatever that is, you know. And and this requires a certain level of neuroatypicality, neurodivergence. It requires a certain level of of one well, massive level of multidisciplinarity and it and it requires a certain lack of respect thank you so much for listening today if you like what you hear if you're inspired by the content please rate review and share it with anyone that you think would find it useful The show notes are available at theartofteachingpodcast.com and the full episode is on iTunes and you can access it by following the links below. If you like these episodes, please take a few minutes to rate and review the show and share the resources.